This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Miss the show? No problem. On point and on this podcast, Canada sends more lethal weapons to Ukrainians and does a reversal on Russian oil, banning it from this country. And this follows Germany, which has announced a major reversal on its energy policy, as well as its investments when it comes to military spending. The world has changed, and overnight, it appears NATO allies are changing with it. Does it go far enough? We'll talk about that. Ukrainians, of course, are putting up a very good fight, but they are in no way as powerful as Russia's military. We'll talk with uh, Major General David Fraser about whether or not he truly believes Ukraine can save itself from Russia's attack. And we'll also talk to Chris Alexander, who spent an awful lot of time in meetings with Vladimir Putin. It was back years ago. But I'll ask him whether or not he feels that there's any truth to whether or not Mr. Putin may in fact launch nuclear weapons, which he has talked about. And Chris Alexander certainly has his thoughts on that. Let's get talking. This is On Point with Alex Pearson. We have seen over the past couple of days uh, that Putin made a grave miscalculation. He thought it would be easy to... Uh, conquer Ukraine, to take over its capital city. He thought the West would be divided and uncertain in its response and thought he had accounted for any of the sanctions that we would bring forward. He was terribly wrong on both counts. Canada turning up the heat again on Russia and Trudeau cuts off Russian oil. Alex Pearson with you on this Monday, February 28th, and there we go, finishing up yet another month. Boy, 2022. Who would have had all of this stuff on the card? Not me. I mean, I knew this was coming. I've been talking about this whole Russia thing for a while now. I just didn't realize this is what we would be, you know, this moment in time is where we would end up. But there are a lot of moving parts to this crisis. They change literally by the second kind of started earlier today when uh, Ukraine and um, Russia had talks and they didn't get any kind of ceasefire agreement because, of course, look, Belarus, which is hosting this thing, is working with Putin. So they've got skin in the game. They're not exactly an objective host. And then when talks finished, Russia immediately bombed Ukraine's capital, Kyiv. So Putin's making it pretty clear that the bombs are going to continue to drop and that he's not at all concerned that he's actually carrying out war crimes every second when he's attacking neighborhoods in all these major cities right, right across Ukraine. It's pretty staggering to see. And, and Zelensky, who I'm sure you've been watching too, he's become an overnight hero around the world, but he's also made clear, you know, he's not leaving. They're asking, do you want to get out of here? You want to flight out of here? And he just says, no, I don't want to, I don't want to ride. I want more weapons to fight. And today, a number of countries uh, announced more firepower, including Mr. Trudeau, who announced late this afternoon that we're going to be sending more anti-tank weapons uh, systems, ammunition, uh, rocket launchers, and more aid. The aid situation is a complete nightmare. Just a complete nightmare. That in itself is going to be enormous. And it's a miracle. I mean, Ukraine's Ukraine and Ukrainians have managed to keep the Russian military from taking control of the capital. I mean, on Friday, we talked about it. 
It was pretty much thought that Russia would finish the job Friday, maybe Saturday. But Ukrainians just keep fighting, despite the enormous odds stacked against them. And there's imagery out there, all these satellite shots, showing the 17-mile-long convoy of Russian tanks heading right to Kiev. And Ukrainians are tough. But Putin's got massive amounts of weaponry and manpower, so he hasn't really even tapped into that. And, of course, he's threatening his uh, nuclear arsenal. And then this afternoon he puts out this warning that any country that gives Ukraine weapons, uh, those countries will also pay a price. So, yeah, he's willing to go to war with everyone, right? And Zelensky, it's funny because I love this guy. Maybe he can be the leader of the world, no? But he made a name for himself on Dancing with the Stars, which apparently he can dance. That guy can dance. He's got talent. But he was also uh, the voice of Paddington Bear, if you saw the movies that were put out. Uh, this guy has managed to outfox Russian special forces who are on the ground right now hunting him. He's the number one target. His family is the number two target. But he's living on borrowed time. He knows it. He's begging President Biden to impose a no-fly zone over Ukraine. But the challenge is a no-fly zone means that NATO's at war, officially. And that may end up being a certainty, but it's certainly not where they are at this point. And so, you know, big question I think people wanted to know is, is Trudeau going to be putting, you know, should we be expecting that troops will be called in Canadian troops on the ground? And he hasn't said that uh, that, that will or won't happen. But there was certainly a signal that things have changed. Trudeau, I think one of the more surprising things he finally announced is that they're canceling Russian oil um, imports to this country, which is a direct blow to Putin. Because Canada, we take, believe it or not, on a daily basis, this country gets 595,000 barrels of Russian blood oil every day. And of course, Russia is the biggest oil producer. And uh, our country buys 300 million bucks a year. That's not a lot in the bigger picture. But you got to remember, we are the third largest energy reserves in the world. We could give energy to the entire world. So there's just no way we should be taking this blood oil and making Putin and the oligarchs rich as they're killing innocent Ukrainians. We continue to hope that uh, Russia will see that this was a terrible mistake and withdraw its forces from Ukraine because we will not be backing down on the economic measures and sanctions that we have put forward to demonstrate to Putin and his cronies that they cannot violate the police, the peace and stability that we've seen in this world and expect to benefit from it personally and in their families. There you go. I hope this is long term. This news comes on the heels of Germany reversing decades of its wobbly need uh, foreign policy. There was a surprise move on Sunday, and the German chancellor came out announcing that uh, Ukraine will now send fighter jets, which got to the country, I think, last night, and many, many more lethal weapons. And Germany is going to be now spending at least 2% of its GDP on military spending. Remember, don't forget, Donald Trump lectured NATO. Remember how irritated he was with NATO? He said, you got to spend or we're going to get out. And none of the NATO members really wanted to put their money in. Well, out comes Germany on Sunday and says, we will put in at least 2% of GDP on military spending. So that's a big number. And then the bigger surprise was that Germany uh, will wean itself off of Russian blood oil and fast-track construction on natural gas terminals to allow energy imports. 
So that is a big deal. You know, Germany made a fatal mistake allowing Greta and the climate crowd to take control of their fate. Angela Merkel, I mean, she was a hero around the world. Boy, I'm not so sure the history books will be kind to her, but those decisions that Germany made over the last couple of decades, shutting down their nuclear energy, signing a deal with uh, Russia, made them and, and now us vulnerable. We have been very, very stupid when it comes to, you know, relying on these tyrannical countries, whether it's Saudi Arabia, Russia, Venezuela, get rid of all of them. We don't need them. We shouldn't be using them. We have ethical oil here. We should be an energy superpower, period. And I hope that is the mindset from here on out. Because an unhinged Russian enemy is not our only problem. They always have lots of tyrannical friends. So we've got to wake up. And Trudeau's not just a prime minister right now. I mean, we are a country on war footing. And we don't know how long this is going to last, and we don't know who else might join. So we've got to do what's best for us, our allies. We've got to protect this country. And so we've got to become energy independent and become, I think, a solution for energy imports to the world because it just makes sense. We also need to get back to punching above our weight because this is not the only problem we're going to be dealing with, and we can no longer pretend that we have nothing to defend because we do. And we know that Mr. Putin's not just going to stop with Ukraine, and either will China or Iran or any of the rest of them. So lots of changing parts. The world has changed, and clearly, I think you can smell change in the air. Today, as millions of Ukrainians suffered the indignity of war, we too face our own responsibility to speak up and to act to demand in the name of humanity that Putin's Russia end this madness. The world is watching, and future generations will remember how we confronted this moment. That is Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie talking today to the United Nations. And, um, you know, bottom line is Russia is incinerating entire cities and neighborhoods. So Vladimir Putin is openly committing war crimes. And, you know, it took a while, but NATO now seems to be uniting in a response because our world has changed. And what might be the biggest signal of that change is what happened on Sunday when Germany reversed course on decades of retreat from the world stage and announced that it's going to be sending Ukraine 500 Stinger surface-to-air missiles, 1,000 anti-tank weaponry. And it's also going to wean itself from Russian oil and start building resource stocks and maybe even reverse its nuclear phase-out. The other big thing is Germany now plans to spend at least 2% of its annual GDP on military spending. So we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars, but this is a major, major reverse course for this European country. Chris Alexander is a former conservative federal cabinet minister, also a diplomat, and he's also with the McDonald Laurier Institute. He joins me now. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. I wanted to uh, lean on your expertise um, for a little while because I know you've dealt with these kinds of big issues. Um, so you can kind of take us through what's going on because a lot is going on. And we, we saw the first round of talks between Ukraine and Belarus and with the promise of more talks, Ukraine asking for an immediate um, ceasefire. And then as soon as the meeting ends, a bomb is dropped again on the capital of Kyiv. Um, in your mind, the longer Ukraine is being seen as successful in staving off Putin's Tax. Do you see this becoming more dangerous? Very much so. Uh, I think there is an ex escalation going on, especially because uh, Russia has not had the military success that Putin was counting on. 
his people really thought it would be a cakewalk. They, as we know from um, uh, from pre-cooked uh, statements and articles that were published, they expected to uh, be in charge in Kiev in, in only two days. Um, they expected Ukrainians to either be indifferent or, or pro-Russian to a large extent. The exact opposite. I mean, anyone who knows Ukraine knew that the exact opposite would happen. And uh, so Putin is desperate. As you say, he's bringing massed indirect fire onto residential areas. Uh, we've seen Russia do this countless times from the Second World War on forward to the Chechen Wars um, and on to Syria. When they don't get what they want militarily, they simply incinerate the city in question uh, and and take over the rubble uh, and then get as close as they need to be to the enemy, uh, the enemy people they consider the enemy uh, and do the same thing over again. So things are escalating. Peace, you know, talks are not going to go anywhere, but they serve purposes on both sides. Um, the Ukrainians want to show that Russia is getting desperate, that, uh, you know, they David is defeating Goliath, uh, and to some extent that's true. The Russians want to buy time um, to regroup their forces who've been badly, which that have been badly mauled in many cases, uh, bring up uh, reinforcements, mobilize heavier aircraft, mobilize heavier uh, weapon systems to deliver these, mm -hmm. these punishing blows, which uh, constitute war crimes, I think, in the eyes of, of any objective observer. So we're on a path to, um, to a larger war. Uh, and the peace talks are, are kind of the sideshow. The bigger issues are um, the military conflict itself, um, the embargo, which is tightening around Russia. I think it's more than just sanctions. It's cutting them off from air travel, cutting them off from ports, the UK making some of those moves. Um, it's the discussion about energy. Uh, and then it's the uh, the, the, the body blows that the Russian economy took today and will continue to take in the days to come. Let me ask you about this. Um, during the talks uh, with Belarus, uh, which of course people should know that Belarus is working with Russia, um, Ukraine signed an immediate application for EU membership. So what does that mean? And would that or could that signal to Mr. Putin uh, to be more aggressive? It could. Um, but it also shows confidence on the part of the Ukrainians and the Europeans that uh, this government is not going anywhere. Uh, I mean, you, Russia is now present on, you know, with its forces on maybe 20% of Ukrainian territory, um, but they haven't taken control of any major city. Mm -hmm. um, they've lost uh, a lot of their crack troops, their, um, their, their most combat-ready troops. Um, so you know, expectations have changed. Before the conflict began, I think people expected the, Rus the mighty Russian army um, to just obliterate everything in its way. Uh, less than a week later, uh, everyone sees Ukraine, the determination of Ukrainians to fight uh, and assumes that they're going to hold out for quite a while, as long as they continue to get support from their allies in Europe and elsewhere. Um, and anyone who'd looked at the conflict in Donbass and, and Crimea would know that the Ukrainians 
have been extremely resourceful. They mm-hmm. stopped the Russian army in its tracks in, during that first invasion back in 2014. Um, they even took some cities back and their capacity has grown a lot since then. So Europe is, is actually uh, taking an optimistic stance with regard to Ukraine and democracy in Ukraine by making this invitation. How soon it can actually happen, uh, I don't know, but it's a very important signal because this has been the symbol of, 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 of what everyone's been fighting for. The first invasion happened when a pro-Russian president back in 2013 tore up an agreement between Ukraine and the EU that would have brought them closer together. Ukrainians didn't like that, they rose up, this revolution of dignity happened, and then Putin invaded to respond. Uh, ever since then, they've been getting closer to Europe. Mm-hmm. Now the European Union for the first time is saying, we want you, you want us, we're gonna make it happen fast. That's a very dramatic announcement. Uh, and I think it's very good news because it, it shows that Ukraine's your destiny is to be in Europe. Uh, and I think everyone, you know, most Ukrainians and outside observers agree with that. The only person who doesn't agree with um, that is Vladimir Putin, who sees a Ukraine that is a democracy, that is free, that has freedom of speech. Uh, in, in one of his one of his propagandists call it, called it an anti-Russia. It's everything that Russia under Putin is not. And that's why he's so hostile to it. And that's why he's invading. You, uh, your old boss, uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper, made clear that uh, he considered Russia evil. He made support of Uni- Ukraine a cornerstone of his foreign policy. And he was criticized by the um, fellow G20 members. In fact, uh, Stefan Dion mocked his Magnitsky sanctions. Um, but, you know, he, he, he responded forcefully in the face of that annexation of Crimea. And who knows what would happen if he had stayed on as prime minister. Nonetheless, Trudeau came in and they decided to focus on climate change, and I think you know, uh, you know, all of those who, who put that as the number one crisis, you know, seem to have opened a door to our our enemies um, that they could strike. And so, is this the game changer that uh, leaders around the world will finally realize that you know Stephen Harper or Mitt Romney were right that this is the geopolitical threat that we need to watch? I think it is um, a, a really clarifying moment for public opinion around the world and for leaders around the world, there were very few who thought in advance that Putin was capable of doing something as bold, as aggressive, as destructive as this war. Um, And he's done it. I mean, the fact is there. Uh, And everyone who thought, you know, he was a great strategist, that he um, uh, was ultimately a reliable partner, that diplomacy would sway Vladimir Putin. All of those people have been proven wrong. Um, And, you know, in retrospect, Stephen Harper was quite singular because I don't think there was anyone else in the G8 who would have pushed as hard to have Putin ejected at that point. There wasn't anyone else who would have pushed as hard for sanctions. Uh, There were enough in 2014, but um, Harper made sure... They were significant. Uh, Even Merkel, who was Harper's ally on some of these issues, turns out to have been uh, much more uh, two-faced about Putin because on the one hand, she wants sanctions. On the other hand, she increased uh, Germany's energy dependence on Russia. And you're absolutely right. You know, we all want climate action. We all want the planet to not be cooked. We all want to be responsible. But a lot of the result of 
the climate politics in recent years has been for countries like Canada to um, to scale back uh, expansion of their production while Russia, Saudi Arabia and others have, have pumped more uh, and China has emitted more. And this just gives has been giving power to, to dictators. If we were in a position to export uh, LNG and oil in large quantities to Russia, right, uh, to Eastern, to, to the European Union right now, that would be significant for democracy. And if it had happened earlier, it might have prevented this invasion. One of the things that the European Union has to do is to decrease as quick as possible its dependency on oil and Russian, Russian oil and gas. We pay a very high bill to Putin, and this money is being used to finance its military aggression. That is a European Union's foreign minister stating, I think, what should be obvious, and that is no longer can the European Union do business as usual with Russia and its energy relationship must change. But I think that's a conversation the whole world needs to have, because over the last 15 years, Europe has handed $286 billion to Russian tyrants and the oligarchs. And now Germany's done this about face. The question then I think becomes, does Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau follow suit? And do we here in Canada become a solution for the world? Or are we gonna continue down this green road that lets countries like Russia and China become world threats? We're talking to Chris Alexander, who spent an awful long time dealing with these issues an ambassador. He uh, is with us right now. So, so what do you think? Is this the turning point in your mind that these conversations, no one is suggesting that you stop doing things properly with energy and trying to get them cleaner, but this has to be the game changer. I think it is, uh, Alex. I think it, it's a real inflection point. I mean, here, here's one illustration. Um, one of Russia's major oil producers, I was reading, uh, just an hour or two ago, had two major shipments of crude oil available from Murmansk port mm -hmm. uh, to go by ship to the highest bidder. There were no offers for that oil because uh, traders are afraid of being sanctioned. They're afraid of looking bad. They're afraid of uh, aiding Putin's war machine, which is trying to crush a whole nation right now. Uh, the, 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 the assumptions about Russia's role in global energy have changed overnight. And, um, you know, Italy just put out a, uh, a national assessment saying, even though they uh, import large amounts of Russian gas, uh, they do have the ability to be independent. Uh, and countries, you know, when, when they're under duress and when these sacred principles of sovereignty and uh, human lives are at stake right next door in, in, a, in a big European country, um, they can change course pretty quickly. Um, and, and that is what is starting to happen. I, I'm not predicting that Russia is going to go bankrupt anytime soon. They went through very tough times in the 1930s and 40s uh, after invasion by Nazi Germany, after collectivization by uh, Stalin. Uh, no one rose up. Um, there was state-sponsored famine, but most Russians survived. They will survive this as well, but they're not going to be the big player, the integrated player, the, the relatively affluent player mm -hmm. that they have been in the global system up until now. They're going to be more marginal uh, and and they're going to be you know fighting for economic oxygen. Uh, that's that's. 
the way the cookie crumbles when you pay play your cards as badly as this. I mean, we have, as you were saying, to take some responsibility because mm -hmm. the international community by buying so much from Russia yeah. over those two decades has partly financed Putin's mischief in the world. His invasions of Ukraine, his invasion of Georgia, his ability, his, his, his efforts to subvert democracy across Europe and in North America um, to, to really reach into our societies and polarize us. Uh, we, we, we have enabled that by treating him as a normal partner when now we realize he wasn't. Uh, but he's in uncharted territory now. I'm not aware of an, another country ever on this scale having its central bank uh, sanctioned the way it's now happened to Russia. Uh, most of its banks are under swinging sanctions by Europe and North America. Uh, most of its banks are being thrown off of SWIFT. It's it's a brave new world, and Russians are panicking. They're they're trying to get money out of ATMs. Uh, mm -hmm. Some were trying to leave the country desperately. They're, they're going to have limited options in future, unfortunately. Yeah, it's unfortunate that the people will pay the price for the tyrants. And, uh, it, you know, on the flip side, it's very hard to say we're standing with Ukraine when we're still taking blood oil, because that is what it is. So I think people will have to question themselves. But, you know, uh, the president uh, of Ukraine, uh, Volodymyr, Volodymyr uh, Zelensky, I think he has captured the world because, you know, this is a guy who's got a target on him. He's a number one target for Putin. Um, his family is number two. This is a guy who's being hunted. He will not leave his country. He's out there fighting with his parliamentarians. So he's really people are admiring his courage and strength, but, you know, also saying that he has changed, you know, the way the world does business, certainly with Russia. Having said that, um, you've met Mr. Putin. Uh, you've been around him. You know what he's like at the table. You know, there's a lot of talk whether or not he's going to kind of go all the way with this talk of him calling up, the, you know, uh, um, nuclear capabilities. Is he capable of doing that? I mean, there have been others who have questioned his his um, his brain or his mind, whether or not he's mm. starting to lose it. Where, where do you find yourself when you hear? Is that just saber rattling? Mm. There is. Uh, I think it's mostly saber rattling. There, there were nuclear alerts throughout the Cold War, even after the Cold War, quite regularly. You talk to uh, these experts who worked in that arcane field uh, and and they kind of uh, they don't roll their eyes, but they, they certainly don't panic when they hear Russia's gone to an alert. That's uh, a regular development, and the U.S. replies in kind, uh, and then you see what happens. Uh, and, you know, until now, it's always led to de-escalation down, down the road. Um, Putin is a rational actor. I think we have to assume that. I don't think he's insane. I don't think he's... Uh, you know, possessed by demons, uh, he 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 is rational on his own terms, but he's showing his true colors that have always been there. Three things matter to Vladimir Putin. One is the KGB. Uh, he's the guy who wanted to join the KGB in his teens. He was a true believer. He saw all these films about the great spies uh, of the Second World War for the Soviet Union. He wanted to be one of them. Um, and how does the KGB operate? By subversion, by lies, and by violence. Uh, and so you have to expect all three from Putin. Secondly, uh, he is someone who went through a trauma, the trauma of seeing the Soviet Union that he 
and others loved uh, dissolve all around it. And he was in a lonely building in Dresden, East Germany, burning KGB documents uh, to prevent them from being seized by angry mobs. He, from that those days forward, wanted only one thing, which was to reconstitute as much as he could of that empire. And that's why he's fighting this war. And thirdly, he's a guy who uh, doesn't have a lot of integrity. You know, he, he came back from East Germany by his own admission, was a taxi driver in St. Petersburg for a while, and then started to pay the bills with a, uh, you know, a, a pretty modest job at first in the mayor's office by um, cooperating with, facilitating organized crime at the court of St. Petersburg. Uh, and so his path to power has been these shady circles, which the KGB was always involved in, the violence he needed to get ahead. And he was, you know, his people were involved in killing Russians uh, as part of his election campaign to bring about the war in Chechnya. I mean, he's, he's a ruthless guy who's done nasty things all through his career. We should expect more of that. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he's someone who wants to bring down uh, a nuclear attack on himself. And that's what would happen if, if, yeah. if either side ever had recourse to these weapons. So we should expect him to uh, incinerate cities, uh, be absolutely cavalier with human life, do surprising things that are ruthless. Uh, and, and that's why we need to be firm, principled and strong in support of Ukraine, including militarily strong. Just quickly before I let you go, because I'm going to run out of time, but I do want to ask you, you know, we hear about the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, you know, that was a, a brink of war moment. 9-11 uh, certainly brought us to war in Afghanistan and Iraq. When you look back and, and kind of factor those times to what we're facing now, how dangerous a time are we in? It's a dangerous time. Um, it's going to test our willingness as citizens and as as democratic societies to do things that are hard, sacrifice economically, because the sanctions will hit us to some extent as well, uh, and then, you know, support Ukraine, which means sending them military support, helping their refugees, um, making sure that they don't fail and get crushed uh, by Russia. This is far too important. Uh, and NATO is our, you know, we're not doing this alone, um, but this, this will probably be the biggest challenge in NATO's history, but I would, I would, uh, you know, I personally um, take solace in the fact that NATO was built for this purpose. Uh, countries like Canada, allies in NATO, have been through this before. Um, this is not going to be the Third World War, uh, but Russia is a big country that had a lot of impunity, uh, and we're really taking on the full force of that ruthless impunity in the form of Vladimir Putin. We need to stand up to it. We need to be strong. We need to have fiber and backbone. Uh, if we do, if we're true to our own values and we do it, we come together the way countries have been coming together in recent days, uh, I think we're going to be fine. But we can't get distracted. We need to be focused and, and accept it. Over the last 20 years, we made a lot of mistakes in dealing with Putin. Now's the time to get it right. Boy, oh boy, what a time we are in, and it's not going to end anytime soon. Very much appreciate your um, time and, uh, and your expertise on this. We'll chat again. Thanks so much, Alex. Pleasure.
as Chris Alexander joining us here. And so again, these things will develop and uh, change and evolve. And so the next couple of days are the real significant uh, turning points as to where we're going. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us Monday through Friday, starting 630 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. This has been On Point.